So I teach in a series. Today is lesson number five, how to hear the voice of God in the details of life. We've been laying kind of a foundation uh, to understand how to hear the voice of God. Really going to get down to the nitty gritty and uh, uh, start today with understanding how to have a clear conscience. Uh, And then then after this, we're going to really talk about how to hear the voice of God, what it's like, how you can tell when he's dealing with you about things, and try to get as practical as we possibly can. And uh, we have uh, started off each week with uh, Romans eight fourteen. as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. God expects us to be led by the Holy Spirit, and he placed him inside of us at the new birth. How many are glad that you're not by yourself in life? You always have a helper. I don't care where I am in the world. Sometimes I'm, you know, in some of these missions trips, they're extended sometimes, and I'm all by myself. And I, I've been first missions trip I ever went on. I was the only one that spoke English in that city, I think. Or, or if there was another one, I didn't meet him or her. And, man, I felt, you just don't know. I remember my first trip, you know, I was 33 years old, 32, and, man, I was lonely. I was just lonely. I was lay, laying on my bed, you know, Lord, I'm just alone. And then he just reminded me, you're not by yourself, son. I'm, I'm inside. Aren't you glad you have a helper? And so after that, I didn't feel lonely anymore. He, he said he'd never leave us nor forsake us. Proverbs 20, 27, the spirit of man is the lamp, the light bulb, the candle of the Lord, searching all the inner depths of his heart. And what that verse brings out is God enlightens us and gives us guidance where he lives and he lives inside of us, that is in our spiritual nature. Uh, week one, well, as we taught this, we talked about Gideon, who didn't have the Holy Spirit, so he had, to, he had to lean on external things to find direction from the Lord. So he basically said, Lord, if you want me to do this, then you do that out here where I can see it, where I can feel it. And people that do that, they're living in Old Testament times. No New Testament believers should do that. How many hear me? If you're walking with God, you have the Holy spirit you don't need to ask God to give you an outward sign if he wants you to do something how many of the devil can accommodate him and instead of it being God the enemy will show up with a with a counterfeit you might be believing God for a spouse and you say God if you want me to marry him or her then then do this or that you better not do that the devil may have the worst counterfeit you've ever seen in your life I'll just leave that one right there. Uh, Second week, we talked about two ways to receive guidance from the Lord, general guidance, specific guidance. We gave two Greek words for the word word in the New Testament. Logos, it means the sum total of everything God has ever said, and and it's found right here in this book, the Bible. And and if if you pay attention to the Logos, make the Logos your life bread. Make the Logos what you live by. Make decisions by the way you think, the way you relate to people let the word make decisions in your life in a general way then that then we're candidates for the second greek word which is rhema which is which is the specific word of god spoken to our our heart by the holy spirit and so that's again specific guidance and uh, we talked about it in great detail. And then the last two weeks, I've been talking about our spiritual nature. First Thessalonians 5, the apostle Paul talked about the three-part nature of man. And he said, now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body. Everybody say spirit, soul, and body. Uh, be kept blameless until the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. So, you know, again, we, we talked the last, really emphasizing, let your spiritual nature come to the forefront in your life. That's easier said than done. 
So we took two weeks and talked about the spiritual nature of man, and I still didn't exhaust all the scriptures we had in the notes on that. Again, if you're watching online or you're here, you can go to Victory Church Raleigh. The notes are there. I usually put in more in the notes than I can ever say, and I'm not sure I'm going to get through with them today. We'll see how it goes. It's funny, when I study on Saturdays, I, I, you know, earlier in the week, I put it all together, but Saturdays, I mean, I'm telling you. He, he surprises me sometimes with how he manifests himself as I study. So nonetheless, today I want to talk about developing uh, the conscience. And um, we're going to get practical again about how to hear God. Three ways the Father leads us inside. Number one, the voice of conscience. Secondly, the voice of the Holy Spirit. And we'll talk about that in detail. It, it's a more distinguished voice and how you can tell that from other, other things you hear inside. And then, and then the primary way that God leads us, and we'll take a little bit of time on this later in, in a couple of weeks, is the, is the inward witness. His spirit bears witness with our spirit. And we'll talk about what that's like, the signals you can look for when, when the Holy Spirit's witnessing to you about something or trying to challenge something in some way. So we'll talk about that. Today, however, we, we're just gonna cover maybe just partially. I've got eight points about the voice of conscience. How many know that you can be born again? Listen to this now. You can be born again and, 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 and every person, saved or unsaved, has a conscience. Every human being has a conscience. Let's leave that very bare there. Uh, the conscience of a person that doesn't know Jesus will allow them to do things that the conscience of a person that does know Jesus should not allow them to do, right? However, you got to know this. You can be born again and still have a conscience that's not distinct. It's not clear. And so then direction is not clear. And that's the reason that, and you've had this experience, I don't care what church you're in, uh, you can say, now that person says, and you may think this, you shouldn't say it to anybody else, but you, I know you thought it. Now that person says they're saved, but they're doing that. Have you ever seen that? They say they're a Christian, but look at that. How can they be saved and do that? Somebody might be looking at you saying, how they can be saved and talk that way, right? So conscience is a very personal thing. But let me say it again. Conscience, you can be born again, still have a conscience that is not yet developed and is not distinct and clear. Your conscience just doesn't suddenly come aflame with everything that's perfect when you're saved. Now, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in your spirit. But see, conscience is an underlying pattern of thoughts that rules conduct. And that conscience has to be trained. It's got to be developed. It doesn't just suddenly come into, you know, full flame with the Lord. No, no, you've got to do something with your conscience. Uh, 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 the conscience can be cloudy. It can be like finding the sun on a cloudy day. You know the sun's in the sky because there's light outside, but there's so many clouds, you can't even tell exactly where the sun is in the sky. We've all had that experience, and that's a cloudy conscience. That's what the conscience can be like. You know it's down there somewhere, but you've got so much going on, and there's so much information you're dealing with with the situation that you're in that you can't tell what your insides are saying. You ever had that happen? Or you respond the wrong way. So again... My goodness, I have, um, I have talked to, uh, yeah, let me just give you a few examples of a cloudy conscience. So here's a lady. This was, uh, I was in, this is in the 1980s. I was in my 20s and I just started ministering to people. I, I talked, did personal ministry for the pastor of a large church. I did it for him 
in his stead on his behalf. Here's a lady that came to me, and uh, and uh, boy, when she sat down, she looked beleaguered. Uh, she had bruises. I mean, really, her eye was bruised black underneath, and she had just marks on her face, bruises on her face. I said, ma'am, and she just looked disheveled, and, and she was a really pretty lady, probably in her 40s. I said, what's going on? And she told me that her husband had beat her up a day or two before. And I said, well, how long has this been going on? Now, this is what floored me. I'm a young man. I understand when I heard this. She said, 21 years. Well, you know, I just kind of, what? What? Really? I mean, it shocked me as a young man. I didn't know somebody would let that happen for 21 years. But see, her conscience made her feel like she had to stay in that relationship. Was that right? No, it's not right to let somebody abuse you. But her conscience said she had to do it. Now, she had the same Holy Spirit I had, but her conscience wasn't trained. You get the idea? It's amazing how, it's amazing how these things work. I've had people come into my office mentioning all kinds of things. Um, uh, in fact, uh, uh, this is a rag. You've got to figure out how to tell this one in a clean way. But anyway, I was in Tulsa, uh, 1980. Um, Susan and I were going to Rhema. I met a friend. He was from, a, let me just say, he was from a, another state out west, uh, a large state on the west coast. And I'd never bet, I'm, I'm from Podunkville, South Carolina. I'm from the country, all right? And so I didn't know about all this, and I'm just kind of ignorant about a lot of stuff in life, and I'm 20 years old, 21. And so he says to me, how do I say this? He just says to me, uh, basically, here's what he said. He had an immoral relationship the night before. He was in Bible school. He said, that was awesome. I said, you're messed up. (laughs) What else to say? (laughs) Because in his life, in his world, that was common. And nobody told him any better. And he was, a, he was, a, he was in, enrolled in Bible school. You get the idea? So I'm kind of sitting there scratching my head. You know, how can this be? Then I got to studying about conscience. And I did come to find out he had a scratch or two inside, but he wasn't doing anything about it because the noise of his conscience was so loud that it allowed him to override the scratch. He had a raw a conscience that was not developed that was not trained. How many human? I could go on and on with illustrations like that, just saying that you are responsible to develop your conscience. And don't take it for granted that the conscience is developed just because you're saved. Do you get that? And I got to slow down because I have a lot in the notes here. So, so we've got eight points. Let's see how far we get. Number one, the conscience must be trained in the word and only then will it be a safe guide. So, for instance, my friend, his conscience allowed him to do things that my conscience would have put me on the floor about. If I'd have done something like that, my Lord, I'd I'd have been weeping and repenting, going to my pastor, what's the world's wrong with me? Get me saved. Deliver me. Do something to me. Something's wrong. He He had no qualms about it. He didn't think another thing about it. I've had other other persons who are believers. I'm talking to them and they're and they're using. Words of sailor, I'm, I shouldn't pick on sailors like this. That's wrong, right? That's wrong. Well, they're just using uh, words that shouldn't be used in public in front of other people or ever in private either, even in your self-talk. 
And they're very comfortable saying, I say, now how can that person be saved and talk that way and, and have no qualms about it? Well, there's a person with an undeveloped conscience. Listen to 1 John 3, 20, for if our heart condemns us, that's your, you could say your conscience, your spirit nature. God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Now you want to add the scripture brings up? Your conscience can condemn you when God doesn't. Or your conscience can be permissive when God isn't. Flip it, right? So for me, I guess the way I was raised, I, have an, I had a, a conscience that worked overtime. And I was so overly responsible that I could never be comfortable ever in my own skin. I never quite measured up to the standards that I created by the way life treated me. How many hear me? So I'm trying to make this really simple. So, so if you're a person who can never be at rest or peace, there's always inward agitation. You're never at rest. That's a conscience that needs to be trained. You get it? So when I first, I'm serious. When I first came to the Lord, I didn't realize how messed up I was. You know, I started school when I was five, uh, and then just the way it was, I lived way out in the country, had to ride a bus to school, and then, uh, and I just don't want to, I don't know how much detail I need to go to except to say that uh, people picked on me mercilessly because, uh, you know, my feet grew out before my body grew up, and so I was lanky and not very dexterous when I was young. I was usually two years younger than people in the class but uh, around me. My, my classmates, but God gave me a mind and I could think and reason. So I skipped the sixth grade of seventh grade, went from the sixth grade to the eighth grade, took two grades in one because they said, well, you scored so high on an aptitude test here in the sixth grade, well, you can just skip and do two in one. And me and a couple other friends did that. I don't recommend that because socially I was behind. So I'm just going to uh, sum all, summarize all that and say, because of that, uh, I, it created angst in me. You know, you can get picked on only so much and you figure out what to do, how to say, how to act, and how to respond. How many hear me? So by the time I, became, I got out of school at age 16, I'd figured out how to respond pretty well. And I had some inward agitation, par none. So when I came to the Lord, y'all, I, I didn't realize, I didn't know that my conscience was such a mess and that I, I, it was overworked and I never felt like I ever satisfied God or anything else. I never satisfied me. Now, I don't know about you. That's a pretty big pickle to be in. If you can't be comfortable with you, you're never at rest. Now, I knew it was going to get quiet when I talked about this. So ask yourself this question. Can you take a break? Can you be comfortable with you? Can you be comfortable with God? Can you be comfortable with people who do things better than you do it? Can you love people when it looks like they got some real challenges and issues? Can you love them just as much as you would someone who seems like they have it all together? Do you treat people equally? Or you try to talk them down inside? Oh, you smile on the outside, but the inside you're talking trash. I got a, I have a... Um, 
I have a friend of mine who's Asian, and he said, us Asians are really good at smiling. He was from, uh, he, anyway, he's from the Orient. He said, we're really good at smiling. And he said, you don't know. We're smiling at you, but we're chewing you out inside. I said, well, I appreciate you letting me know that. When, he's, when, when he said that, I thought, oh, man, that's what I do all the time as a young boy. That's what I did. That's how I, I, I put everybody back to my level because I felt so bad about me. How many hear me? So the conscience, man, I'm telling you, it can be a, a real challenge. There's an analogy in the Old Testament uh, about the conscience. See, conscience is your belief system. A belief system is your set of values that you obtain by interacting with the world. That's as simple as I know to put it. So uh, uh, the values created when you first opened. You know, we just had a grandchild in, in July, Sarah's baby, uh, Benjamin Michael. He's, so, he's got the biggest, beautiful eyes. He got big old hands, boy. I mean, you look at that boy. And little babies, it's like, they see right through you. I said, wow, wow, he can see through to my soul. Look at him. So, so, but babies, they're, they're so innocent, right? And everything they learn about life, burly, my big burly hands will pick him up. I want him to know Poppy loves him, right? Men are kind. They might be big, but they're kind. I want him to know that, right? And, and, and mamas, mamas love you. If, you. if you pee in your diaper, they'll change it. If you poop in your diaper, they change it, right? If I'm hungry, mama feeds me. Mama wraps me up. Mama puts this stuff on me. It feels weird. And she's giving me, and I don't know what it is, but it's weird. And she puts it all over me, and it's sudsy. And then she rinses me off with this thing. What is, see, you're learning all these things about life. Then you're learning how to communicate what you think about yourself, what you think about others, how you relate to others, how you quantify you, and the difference between you and other people, the difference between men and women. How many know that's important? See, all of these things now are becoming skewed. And then you're learning that, you should learn that everyone's the same, everyone's equal. But now they're teaching different things in school. Right? That's why you better be careful. By age, uh, psychologists say but by uh, age five or six, your conscience is pretty much there. Your belief systems develop. The, the formation of it's there. They may not be, you know, completely perfect yet, but it's, it's well on the way of being settled as to what you think about yourself, what you think about others, how you respond to various things in life, how you communicate to the various people in your life, Right? By age five or six, parents, how many know we got a huge responsibility? Grandparents, you've got a huge responsibility to model God to your children. Susan, I had four. Now, I'm an imperfect parent, but I'm telling you, whew, man, you get into this, say, God, how in the world can you trust me, us, with something that's so innocent and pure? Well, God created us to have children and those children develop their belief system from our environment at home. Yes or no? You ever think about it? Uh, I saw a, um, this one wasn't. You know that little, uh, I don't read the paper. I don't have a hard copy paper now. But you know, it used to years ago, uh, the family circle. You remember that little? That li well, uh, y'all might have saw. So they had, a, they had the, somebody put the family circle on Facebook or whatever. Might have been on Instagram too. But anyway, here's the family. So here's the, the mama, you know, she's bending over. The child's up looking at her and boy, he is talking some trash. 
And they couldn't even put, they could just put the first letter and last letter of the words he was using. Because he had been on the street with the people fussing and fighting. Or he, or he had saw it on the internet or saw videos. And he was just saying what they said. And she just said, oh, now that's sobering, isn't it? Our children, my friends, are in trouble. So let's get back to conscience. Conscience is developed at a very early age, and it can either make or break your life. It can either allow or disallow things that will either help or harm us. So one of the, thing, one of the goals we should have as believers is to start developing a strong conscience. Now, again, some of this we're blind to. I was. Nobody taught me this. I, I happened on it just myself. Maybe I'll get into it a little bit later, but um, I found out that I had some, I had some pretty uh, nasty weeds growing up in my conscience, and instead of it being spiritual fruit, there were some noxious weeds that were keeping me from developing spiritually, developing as a really healthy relational person, and, and God took me through a process of change. There's an illustration. Uh, i got three scriptures. I want to do it fairly quickly here, Old Testament analogy of changing your belief system and the need to change it and the need to cleanse your conscience. And God gave me to this over 20 years ago, Exodus 23. Israelites, you know, had come out of, um, out of Egypt by way of the Red Sea. Uh, Moses um, is, uh, is right there with God. He's been on top of Mount Sinai, Exodus 19. And the God's just talking to him about the future going into the land of Canaan, the land that God promised um, uh, uh, his people, the Israelites, land of Canaan's a type and shadow of the, of the, of the born again, spirit filled life of the believer. Their enemies, their challenges all around, but God's got a good life for you if you'll grab a hold of it. And so as Exodus 23, God said to them, but so hold us in an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place that I've prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Don't provoke him. For he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, I'll be an enemy to your enemy and enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. But my angel will go before you and bring you into the, uh, bring you into the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, all the ites were their enemies. All right? And I will cut them off. You shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them, completely break down their sacred pillars. Now, here are cultures in the land that they were going into that did life opposite of them, different from them. Their belief system was skewed with all kinds of things. And God said, don't get around them. Don't get your kids around them. You don't mess with them. He said, wipe them out. Why? Because if they commingle, they learn their ways and it'll, it'll, it'll be a problem to them. And so he said, don't bow down to the gods, verse 24, nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but utterly overthrow them, completely break down their sacred pillars. So you shall serve the Lord your God. He will bless your bread and water and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all of your enemies turn their backs to you. I will send hornets before you which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the Hittite from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field become too numerous for you. And now that, here's, let me stop. 
Let me tell you about growing in Jesus. You're not going to develop overnight. And in a local church particularly, you got to be careful when you got new people coming in, people that are just coming to the Lord, people that have known the Lord, fallen away from God and come back. They're going to have all kinds of habits, all sorts of attitudes, all kinds of motivations, all kinds of ways of speaking and living that may be opposite of what you think a believer should be, yes or no. And you've got to learn to love them where they are and not judge them where they are. That's not, not that we accept what we call sin, but you can't judge another person's walk because you don't know where they are and what they know and where their conscience has been. God knows. See, it's my responsibility as pastor. Hey, here's the line. Here's the standard. Here's the word. Where are you? That's why I preach a strong word. Why do I preach a strong word? Because everybody's different. And you may be saying, why are you saying that? Because somebody's conscience needs it. I don't know, I I, I talk so much, I don't know if I've said this here before. Have I told you about Lester Sumrall's church in the Philippines? In the 1950s, had a big revival. And uh, I've talked, I've said this a number of times, I can't tell when I do it because I talk so much in private and public. Anyway, uh, he had a Philip, and people were coming to the Lord in droves, and they bought a B-52 hangar up, fitted it, had thousands of people in the church. And I mean, people were getting saved. It was a real honest revival. Hundreds and hundreds of people every week coming to the Lord. And, and after a while, his church members come in and said, Pastor, we got a problem. And he said, what is it? Well, these men are bringing two or three wives. Polygamy's rampant in the Philippines. Remember, I've talked about it, right? Two or three wives, and then, and then they're spending their money on rooster fights, they're gambling. And Lester Sumrall said, what, they asked her, well, what, what, what do you want me, to, what do you want us to do? He said, don't do anything. God, God caught them, God will clean them. Don't try to do, and, and sure enough, he said, over a period of time, remember me telling it now? He said, over a period of time, he said, the guys would come up to him, said, Pastor, you know, as you've been preaching, and I've been learning something scratching me on the inside telling me, I, I don't need three wives, I need one. And Lester said, follow that. And then they'd come and say, something's scratching me and telling me I don't need, need spend, be spending half my money on rooster fights on the weekend gambling. And he said, follow that. See, it's line upon line, precept upon precept. Here a little there a little. That's the way Isaiah put it. And that's what he said here. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and beasts of the field become numerous for you. Here's what I found out about the Lord. He knows what will overwhelm you. If he tried to change you all at once, you couldn't handle it. You'd bail. You'd run. And he, he loves you that much. And now listen how God is. He accepts you with all of your warts and blemishes. And loves you like the apple of his eye. How many hear me? Now I feel the spirit of God when I say this. He'll love you while you're doing wrong. And he'll keep talking to you. And the Holy Spirit will say, whoa, whoa, where are you taking me? What you doing? What you do? And you can't hear it because the clouds are in the way. The conscience is cloudy. But he'll just keep talking. What are you doing? What are you doing? I am, I'm not even the same animal I was 44 years ago. I'm not the same person because little bit by little bit by little bit by aggravating little bit, 
God got to talking to me. How many hear what I'm saying? How many of you can say he's done that to you? Who was that in history they called a gentle giant? There's somebody called a gentle giant. One of the fighters, maybe somebody. Who was that? Rosie Greer. Remember him? What did he play? The 60s. What was he? Oh, yeah, they called him the gentle. See, God's like a gentle giant. He's stronger and he could flatten you quick. He could pulverize you, but he loves you with all of your mess. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that good for God to do that to you? And what we do is we want to give up on somebody. I'm done with that. And then often we want to give up on ourselves. Yes or no? You got a child. You got two good ones and three bad ones. Or you got one good one and two, they're just squirrely. But you got to love them all the same. We had four. I, I, I would have made an egregious error and almost did. God got to dealing with me about perfectionism when my son Jonathan was young, taught. And then Sarah, two years later, was born. See, I thought everybody ought to be like me because I, I know the right way to go. How many know that's utter, absolute, complete stupidity and self-centeredness? It's me. I thought I was the most spiritual person in the house. I was the dumbest in the house because I thought I had it all together and I didn't. And you know what? I still, I still meet me all the time. I meet people who do life. And you know what? I have great mercy because they're by the grace of God, would I still be? Not that I've overcome it all, but if I'd have stayed the way I was when my kids were young, I think that if I called, they wouldn't answer the phone. Oh, it's daddy. Don't want to talk to him today. How many hear me? And I promise you, when you get older, you want your kids to call. And you know, when they give you a card and say, I love you, there is not money in the, on the planet that can replace that. You hear me? So anyway, we got next week, so I'm not trying to get in a hurry. Little by little, I'll drive them out from before you until you've increased and you inherit the land. And I'll send you bounds from the Red Sea to the uh, Sea Philistia and from the desert to the river. I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out. Uh, you sh Let me see, where am I at? Yeah. And you shall drive them out from before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest uh, they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it'll surely be a snare to you. That is, that is if, if you adopt their belief system, it'll become a snare. Right now in America, we're adopting belief systems that will completely demolish our culture. It cannot survive because no culture in history has ever survived the immoralities that we are allowing as normal. It, it can't happen. See, fam the family unit makes or breaks a culture. And if you, if you don't have a family with a mama and a daddy who love God and who are at least to some degree unselfish, then you can't pass values to the next generation. 
So you ask, answer the question, how are we doing in America with that? How's the family in America doing now? What's the next generation going to look like? Do we need to pray? Great questions. He said, if you adopt their ways, it'll be a snare. Joshua 23, a couple of verses. Be very careful to love the Lord your God. Joshua went into Canaan's land after they wandered in the wilderness for not quite 40 years. But if you turn away from him and cling to the customs of the survivors of these nations remaining among you, and if you intermarry with them, then know for certain the Lord your God will no longer drive them out of your land. Instead, they will be a snare and a trap to you, a whip for your backs and thorny brambles in your eyes. And you'll vanish from this good land the Lord your God has given you. What was he say? If you adapt to the customs of the people around you, your belief system will change and it'll scratch you head to toe. And life will not be comfortable for you. Judges 2, 1 through 3, the angel of the Lord came upon, uh, came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I will, I led you up from Egypt, brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. Uh, you shall tear down their altars, but if you, but you've not obeyed my voice. They didn't do what God said. Why have you done this? Therefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be thorns in your side. And their God shall be a snare. What was they saying? Again, if you adopt the belief systems of the culture around you, it's going to hinder who you are, hinder your families, and you'll never be blessed. And see, that's where we are as believers today. We have a belief system created from, let's be real, an imperfect family. Now, let me talk about the family. There are no perfect families. Now, somebody might, might say, well, well, you don't know my mom and daddy. I don't need to know your mom and daddy. I just know flesh enough. So let me tell you about me. I see, I thought I had a perfect family. I'm not kidding. Because I was reading all these books in school, psychology books and stuff, and ministry books, and going through, you know, learning theology and stuff. And we came to family life and all that, and I'm thinking, I'm just kind of looking around the class like, I had a really great family. Almost perfect. I didn't want to admit that my mama wasn't perfect. And that my daddy wasn't perfect. I'm not kidding. It was pride. I think it was a family pride thing. But one day I had to come to terms with it as I kept reading, studying, thinking, it, trying to integrate what I was reading to me. I came to terms with, wait a minute. Well, my daddy did that. My mama thought that. And mom, I love you if you're listening. But I found out I had a most imperfect family. And then, then that family created values in me. I became a workaholic prior to age 30. That is, I got my good feeling out of accomplishment as a man. Now, I personally don't think I would be alive today had, I not, not, had God not started dealing with me about that when I was 28 years of age. That is, in the mid-1980s, he spoke to me. I couldn't take a break. I couldn't be comfortable. Where did that come from? My daddy worked ceaselessly. He worked eight hours on his job and came home and worked till uh, worked past sundown in his shop doing this, that, the other and taught me a work ethic, which is great. But if that work ethic becomes something that, that gives you personal value, then you can't rest. You'll end up ruining your physical life by overwork and stress.
A lot of men are there. A lot of women are there. Today, now people feel so badly about themselves. Watch this. I felt so badly about me. The only way I could feel. Now, just got off my notes. Take these notes and throw them over there somewhere. I felt so badly about me that I had to always be doing something so I could have that peaceful, you know, that song got a peaceful, easy feeling. Yeah, I couldn't get it. Not, not if I was still, so here I am. I'm not sure Sarah was born yet. Yeah, she was born 1987, the beach. I'm on the beach. I lived in Tulsa. I'm in Myrtle Beach. I've got an umbrella. I can see the day. It's a bright, a bright sun, azure, blue skies. You can smell the salt air. You can see, you hear the seagulls in the background making their noises. Life is good. We're on the beach. Not many people on the beach. Jonathan's a little tot. Susan's there. We're all getting some sun. I got me a book. Second day I'm there. I sit down in my easy chair under my umbrella watching the foamy waves come up to the beach shore. And here's my thought. You know what I thought? I was thinking, I wish I was in my office in my chair in Tulsa working. I would feel better there. My next thought was, something is wrong with me. Yeah. Yeah. Now, y'all, it took God a few years to work this workaholic issue out of me. Now, I love my daddy. I, think, I thought my daddy hung them. I thought they were Superman, and then right beside him was my daddy. I love my daddy. My daddy died in 2012, but I love my daddy. But I got workaholic. I, I, I got the ideal of work from him, and I turned it into workaholism. I wasn't an alcoholic. I was a workaholic. I had to work. How many get it? Now, I know there's men and women like that, but men are more prone to be that way. So you got a midlife crisis in men. Maybe they change jobs or they're laid off or something happens and they're thinking, what's, what's life all about? Why am I doing this? They can't feel good at work. They don't feel good not working. And life is a mess. Well, you may have what I had. I was a workaholic, and I got that from home life. How many hear me? So Deuteronomy says, number three, God designed our conscience. Everybody with me? To grow in an atmosphere, what's this, of unconditional love in a healthy family where love rules. See, God originally created Adam and Eve, and he's the one that had the idea of male and female. And because they love each other, they do certain things that create babies. And then God had the idea that when these little babies come from the mother, are fed by the mother, wooed by the mother, consoled by the mother, daddy goes out and, and, and you know, gets some food together for the family and puts some clothes on them and creates a shelter for them and they all come together as a family. And see, God's original plan was that we be whole and healthy and that we're able to receive his love and we're not bent on ourselves we're unselfish but see all that got tainted when adam and eve sinned the first man and woman and because the first man and woman sinned we inherit sin 
Our parents are sinful people. They may be redeemed by the blood of Jesus, but they still have characteristics and flaws that they pass into their children. How many get it? So while I'm saying that, ask yourself a question. What did your mama put in you? What did your daddy put in you? What did the interaction with mom and dad place in you? What have you, if you're older, passed, what have you passed on to your children? If you're younger and you're married and you don't have kids yet, what are you going to pass into your children from the way you think about life, the way you relate to others on varying levels of life, and the way you communicate? What are you doing? Those are big questions, right? Deuteronomy chapter 6, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love, this is the Shema. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house. To overcome the sinful tendencies of human behavior, God told Israeli families, take the word, talk about about the word, talk about the Torah, talk about the Ten Commandments, give life examples when you get up, when you're walking, when you're working, when you're eating lunch, afternoon, when you're taking a siesta, when you get up, when you have the evening meal together, and when you go to bed, talk about me, talk about my principles, talk about my concepts, because everything you say, you say your children are absorbing, and you're forming their belief system. That's a lot, of, a lot to say, isn't it? So what kind of belief system do you have based on where you were raised and what you dealt with? How many hear me? Most families do not have conditional love. Unconditional love is conditional love. And God's love is two things. <laughs> it's unconditional. Secondly, self-sacrificial. God's love puts itself last, puts the other person first. God's love is unconditional. Conditional love says, well, I'll treat you right if you do this or you do this. But if you don't do that, you got blank to pay. Fill in the blank. Right? If you you don't do this way, then I'm not going to be nice to you. And I'm only nice when you do it right. Now, you're creating a child that is bound to live a works-based life and will have a hard time relating to God and have a hard time accepting other people who have similar kinds of flaws. It's quiet. So I'm about done. I'm gonna have to pick up right here next week, but let me say this first. Give you something to think about. You You want something to think about? We learn what love is like by being raised in a home environment. So what kind of love were you exposed to in your home? To some people, now I'm going to read my notes here. For some, love comes with control. A person who's supposed to love you controls everything you do and won't let you make decisions on your own. Love comes with abuse. Physical abuse, 
Abuse with words, mental abuse, which is hard to quantify. Guilt, neglect. They're very people that should love you, take advantage of you. Why am I saying this? Because we have broken homes in America today. We can come and shout and praise and dance and sing. And then when we go home, it's not fun. Because our homes are broken. How many hear me? Is that, is that America today? So many people grow up in an atmosphere charged. Listen, instead of love, it's charged with accusations, with anger, bitterness, revenge, ridicule. Instead of unconditional love, it's love based on performance. If you don't toe the line, if you get it wrong just a little bit, you're fussed at, hollered at, called various names, neglected, taken advantage of. See, it puts the wrong things in our belief system. Uh, Things that affect the conscience. These things affect the conscience. Place in us a belief system that says, I must defend myself. I've got to be wary, be careful with other people. I can't get close to somebody else. They might hurt me like these people that said they loved me did when I was at home. Is that true? I can't trust people enough to get close to them. That's America today, y'all. How many hear me? Now, we're not all goons. We're not all bad. You know, we're not all nasty. But I'm telling you, we got some big issues here. We have a fractured culture. And you can tell it's fractured by watching what's happening. Why do these young kids allow themselves to do what they're doing in our streets of our cities? Why did they do this overnight in uh, two nights in Raleigh? Why? Somehow they come from fractured homes. I promise you. How many hear me? And their belief system allows them to do things that will completely ruin our nation unless we stand up, pray, and say what is right. How many hear me? See, all this gets in the way of hearing the voice of God. People raised in homes where there's anger, manipulation, control. There could be Sexual abuse, physical abuse, or both, they'll have a conscience that's clouded with fear, with anger, with resentment, distrust, self-protective responses that accuse and defame other people. You've heard the adage, hurt people, hurt people. Change an adjective to a verb. Hurt people, hurt people. See, whatever I experienced at home that's the way my life's going to be home is where the heart is is an ad is for one of the large ministries focus on the family somewhere used to have it home is where the heart is well that's right home is home is and so people become comfortable in dysfunction comfortable being mean comfortable saying things they shouldn't say comfortable putting pressure on others to go their way to do their thing And how many know that gets us into huge trouble with our relationships? And then, above all, it clouds the conscience. So we want to hear God, the clouds are in the way. Y'all, God wants to remove the clouds. When we come back next time, I got to number four. I'll talk about how to remove the clouds. You got to do something with the word. Let me tell you a story as a close. I, uh, I didn't know what was going on with me. I was a broken man. I was an 18-year-old broken boy. And, uh, 
You know, you ever had that knot in your throat? You ever had a knot, an emotional knot like you can't get rid of? Because you're in angst and tense all the time. Well, that was me as a teenager. Because, you know, I got into drugs and ran the wrong crowd and all that. But, but then when I came to the Lord, it's like, man, that won't go away. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Hip, hip, hooray. I was on cloud 12 for, you know, a few weeks. Then I came down from the cloud, the emotional cloud. And, and I'd get back home after work or going to school or whatever. And then get in my room. I say, something not right with me. I said, and I didn't know what it was. So something not right with me. I don't think right about me. Some, some, something's got to change. And then I was, I was moved towards. And I don't have time to read them all to you, but I can, I, can tell you the, I can tell you the references. I was moved to over and over and over and over. I would read Romans 12, about verses 4 through the end of the chapter. Ephesians chapter 4, start with about verse 17, 18. Read through the end of the chapter. Colossians 3, read through about the first 18 verses. 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses, well, all the way up to verse about 12 or so, 15. I just read, read, read. And I don't know why I was just led, but they're talking about relationships, attitudes, values, words, choices. And while I read that, I had an amplified New Testament. I read it, and I'm not kidding. You've heard me say it. I'd begin to weep and cry. Say, God, why am I crying when I read this? Why am I crying when I read about being kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, loving, not using heart? Why am I crying? And it was like my heart, my insides were hard wax. And I'd read the word. I read these things, y'all. I don't know how many times. Read them, read it, read it, read it. And while I read it, the only way I can describe, it's like God's word was a candle. And my insides were wax. And as God's word came in, it warmed me up inside and melted the harshness, the crass coldness of my heart where I, I picked on people on the inside. I was like my Asian friend. I would pick you apart while I'm smiling at you because I felt so bad about me. And Jesus changed who I was. Isn't that awesome? And you know, that process never stops. And you can have a hard heart and God will give you a tender heart. But you got to give yourself away. 